Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with who the Los Angeles Times calls the Meryl Streep of government service, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode of Getting Through It is sponsored by individual listeners as a project of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast too, for as little as $5 a month, because that's how it continues to be here for you week after week. It's simple. Just go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And now let's get to it. In honor of the Oscars, which were held this week, we want to talk about disaster movies today. There weren't many this year in 2020 that were honored or recognized or even made. And maybe we don't want to watch them because we're in the middle of a pandemic, a real disaster. Movies provide us with an easy escape. And whereas news provides us what has happened, movies portray what could happen and what that feels like if it were to happen. I think those disaster movies give us the thrill of watching what could happen in a really horrible situation while being safe in our own current lives. I think it would be an interesting study to look at who spent this year of 2020 binging on contagion and outbreak and those who couldn't bear to watch those movies. And it might tell us something about how they were handling the disaster we have. But disaster aside, let's look at the three categories of natural hazard movies that are out there, disaster movies. The first category is total fantasy, and we'll talk about that. Then there's the fairly realistic ones that actually get most of the science correct. And finally, there's those ones that are a bit confusing because they get some parts really correct and some parts really wrong. So we know that when a filmmaker makes a disaster movie, they aren't trying to be exactly true to life. They've got a story to portray. But part of the appeal of disaster movies is that it is plausible. You could imagine yourself going through it so you have the extra advantage of being safe. So let's look at those three categories and start with the really, truly fantastic category, the almost science fiction. And the one movie that comes to mind is the movie 2012 that was released in 2009. And the basic storyline is that there's solar flares that causes the Earth's core to heat up, which then results in the Earth's crust coming apart from earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, which then lead to tsunamis. Why is this so fantastic? Why is this science fiction, Lucy? It is absolutely, completely unrealistic. It's in the fantasy category. First, solar flares indeed happen, and they cause changes in the atmosphere, and they can affect the magnetic field of the Earth. But we have seen them many times. They have never caused any impact to the rocks. And in fact, you can see that just the electrical currents that go into the earth are going to remember when you talk about grounding an electrical current, it's not a place where they build up and propagate through. There are big changes to the earth's magnetic system. We have seen reversals of the earth's magnetic field many, many times. In fact, it's how we date seafloor because as the magnetic field goes back and forth, the lava gets emplaced and it is reflecting the current magnetic field. So we know there have been lots of changes in the magnetic field that have never led to any sort of increase in earthquakes or any of those sort of factors. And in fact, we can see plenty of solar flare magnetic storms that have never led to a change in the magnetic field. So is there anything a solar flare could actually do to the Earth? Is there any impact it could have on us? 
Well, it does affect the electrical system within the atmosphere. And so it causes fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic field that can last for a few days. Historically, these storms never had a really big impact, just some really impressive northern lights that move pretty far south. But now that our lives depend on electronic systems, we are much more vulnerable to those geomagnetic storms. The last really big one was called the Carrington event, and it happened back in 1859 and completely disrupted the telegraph systems, which were really the only electric systems in place on the earth. It's thought that the same storm now could disrupt electric grids across the globe, potentially even bringing down the internet. It would be very disruptive to a lot of systems for at least a few days, but that's all in the atmosphere. And could the core actually heat up over time as in the movie? Actually, the core is cooling over time. It's why we have earthquakes. There are radioactive materials in the core. They release heat. That heat needs to move out. The hot rock rises up, forms the new plates. The cold rock goes down. Overall, the earth is cooling in spite of the heating from radioactive decay. And in the very, very long run, we will stop having earthquakes and we'll stop having the plates moving around. We're talking about many, many billions of years, so don't hold your breath. So really, this movie is very fantastic, as they say. And at least they help people understand there's a difference between the core and the crust. Or did they? I'm not even sure. Let's go to the extreme other end. Movies that get the science right when it comes to disasters. And the movie you always mention, for as long as I've known you, actually, that you think gets things right is Dante's Peak from 1997. This is the one where Pierce Brosnan plays a volcanologist up in the Pacific Northwest where there's lava flows and flooding and gases and a bunch of other science-based scenes. What makes it so right in your mind? Everything they show in that movie has happened in some real volcano. And they did a good job of tying it to the fact that this was a subduction zone area, Pacific Northwest. And even some of the scenes that I know non-scientists thought were over the top, they had all of these gases coming out before the eruption to even turning a lake acid. So it was like burning up a boat. That has actually happened in a real volcano. They had the pyroclastic flows that killed the people at Pompeii. And even the final scene where Pierce Brosnan escapes death from the pyroclastic flow by hiding in a mine. I got the feeling that the script writers had gone to the volcanologists and said, we need to have him survive the pyroclastic flow somehow. How could it possibly happen? And the scientists were like, oh, that's really hard, but I suppose if you could get him deep underground, he would have been protected. So even the most dramatic scenes had plausibility to them. And it was very satisfying to see that. So for a good visual primer that is more extensive than our own episode 42 on the topic of volcanoes, people could watch Dante's Peak to pique their interest in the topic, right? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> so let's go to the hard category, though. The ones that are correct in some ways and lure the audience into believing the more fantastic details that they made up. And a great example here is the movie which you attended the premiere of just a couple years ago in 2015, San Andreas, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah, that was a very interesting process. The movie actually had some decent parts, especially on sort of the emergency management side, had some good moments, little thing of like landlines will work when the cell phones are out, or the idea of what's called vertical evacuation, going to upper floors in a building. That's a good response to a tsunami if you can't get away. And actually, one part that was realistic that might surprise people was the earthquake triggering they had. 
the aftershocks kept on happening and doing more damage. That's a certainty in most big earthquakes. But also that an LA earthquake could trigger another big one in San Francisco. That's actually realistic. You know, the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, which is magnitude 7.8, triggered a magnitude 6 in Imperial County down by the Mexican border about 12 hours later. So they got a lot right. Also, the response of people was very realistic, as you said, but I'm not sure if any firefighter, helicopter pilot, which is what The Rock played, would steal a chopper and bail on their job in the city to go find their family 300 miles away. Yeah, I've heard the LA fire chief say that he'd probably fire somebody who did that. But what was really absurd was some of the science. To have a tsunami at all, they require big subduction zones, and we don't have a subduction zone in San Francisco, let alone a tsunami big enough to come in as a huge wave and crash over the Golden Gate Bridge. They also had the tsunami flow uphill into the hills of San Francisco and had the water stay there, which is a pretty interesting defiance of gravity. So I think what I got most ticked off about was the chasm they had opened up in the middle of the state. First of all, If the ground could open, you wouldn't have earthquakes because there wouldn't be any friction and it'd be like trying to snap your fingers when they don't touch each other. And then there was no reason to have it. The story didn't need it. It was solely for visual effect. And it was confusing to people. I had an elected official ask me later, how likely was it for us to have that earthquake that would cause the chasm? She really thought it was going to happen at some point. So I think you've revealed something about these types of movies that in any of the three categories, how does the audience manage what they're seeing so it doesn't think that it's reality perhaps, or maybe that they do think it's reality when it actually is the truth from science? Hopefully the fantastical ones are more obvious as being fantasy. And a fantasy situation is where we can just explore human nature. When they really get it right, That's why we can get the thrill of a classic disaster movie, a plausible outcome, but I'm safe. It's that third category that really gets to be dangerous, where you stretch the truth for the sake of the plot line, or just because the filmmaker thought it looked really cool, but they're misrepresenting the risk in a way that can be dangerous if people believe it. So how does one tell the difference between those that get it right and those that have something really wrong? Well, viewers need to remember that only some filmmakers take the time to try to be accurate. Even when they try, sometimes they go, oh, well, that just doesn't work as a good story, so I'm not going to care that it's not true. You need to take it all with a grain of salt and perhaps find the interviews with experts that almost always happen when such movies are released. I've done more than a few of them in my time. But don't take what happens as truth, even if it seems plausible. If it interests you, if you want to think that that's true, go and do a bit of research. You can find out whether or not the science actually backs that up. And these films may be rooted in the basics of science, but how far they stray for the narrative, it's the job of all of us watching that to decipher what's true and what's not. Well, let's leave it at that for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.